It's the Resistance Report for February 8th, 2018, where we connect the dots and give you the big picture. Tonight, Donald Trump's strategy to divide and conquer America, his latest authoritarian moves, and what you can do. Let's get into it. On Monday, at a rally in Ohio, Trump renewed his attacks on Democrats in Congress. This time, he accused them of being treasonous and un-American for not applauding during his State of the Union address. Can you believe it? Even on positive news, really positive news, like that, they were like death and un-American, un-American. Somebody said treasonous. I mean, yeah, I guess why not? You know, can we call that treason? Why not? Folks, it's common for members of the opposite party not to applaud during State of the Union addresses. Here's how Republicans reacted during President Obama's State of the Union addresses. Give small businesses the credit they need to stay afloat. Each of these proposals deserves a vote in Congress. Let a bipartisan group do it. These reactions are not a rebuke to the president, but to the policies the president espouses. Disagreement is not a sign of treason. It's the hallmark of a democracy. But in Trump's authoritarian brain, and here is the brain stem, and here is the authoritarian part of it, in his authoritarian brain, he views anyone who disagrees with him as a threat to his power. And that translates into treason. I mean, Trump has personalized his presidency, so there is absolutely no difference between him and the office. It's what tyrants, strongmen, and dictators have done throughout history. They demand public displays of loyalty, and they vilify those who disagree with them. I mean, in North Korea, government officials who don't enthusiastically applaud Kim Jong-un during his speeches, they're labeled traitors, they're severely punished, some are hauled away and put into jail or killed. And yet here we have, in the United States, a democracy. We have Trump doing the same thing in terms of accusing people who don't applaud for him of being traitors. I mean, never before have we seen a president with such deep authoritarian tendencies. Trump has even personalized the stock market. He complained on Twitter Wednesday that good, great news in the economy had led to a decline in stock prices, lamenting that in the old days, stocks would have risen on good economic news. Today, he said, when good news is reported, the stock market goes down. In other words, it's somebody else's fault. If investors in the stock market were smart, he says, they'd be responding positively to him. In another page from the authoritarian playbook, Trump has asked the Pentagon to stage a massive military parade. I mean, he's been kicking around the idea for months, ever since observing a Bastille Day parade ceremony in France last summer. And I do want to say that I was your guest at Bastille Day, and it was one of the greatest parades I've ever seen. Uh, it was two hours on the button, and it was military might and I think a tremendous thing for France and for the spirit of France. And people don't know what great warriors they are in France, but when you see that and you see all the victories, it was a tremendous thing. And to a large extent, because of what I witnessed, we may do something like that on July 4th 
in Washington, down Pennsylvania. <laughs> this isn't the first time Trump has been excited by a choreographed show of force to celebrate America's and, by implication, its commander-in-chief's power. He had his staff look into having tanks and other battlefield vehicles at the inauguration, but now he seems intent on making his parade, his parade, a reality. Now, occasionally, tanks and artillery have paraded down Pennsylvania Avenue to celebrate the end of a war or add to an inaugural parade, but we've never had a parade dedicated to showing off our national armaments and military. Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower, you remember him? The last general to be president. He refused such a display when his top brass suggested it in response to Soviet shows of military pomp because Eisenhower said it would be inappropriate in a democracy and it would symbolize too much power in the commander-in-chief. But Donald Trump doesn't worry about symbols that confer undue power on him. To the contrary, he's worried about anything that seems to suggest his power is limited. Trump's other recent moves also point to his utter failure to understand the meaning, processes, and institutions of a democracy. In an attempt to further discredit the investigation into Russian meddling in our election, Trump's lawyers want him to appoint a second special counsel to probe the FBI and the Department of Justice. It's not his lawyers. Trump wants to do it. And this is absolutely bonkers. Can you imagine if Nixon had appointed a special prosecutor to investigate the special prosecutor who was investigating Nixon? The move is obviously designed by Trump to fuel the conspiracy myth that the entire investigation, including the FBI and the Justice Department, both under Trump appointees, the entire investigation he wants us to believe is a plot to unseat him, Trump. Throughout history, tyrants have spread conspiracy theories about deep state forces seeking to oust them, Trump appears to be doing exactly the same. Assume Sessions, Jeff Sessions, is recused, as he is now, and Trump orders Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein to appoint a second prosecutor, but Rosenstein refuses, as he should, then Trump has an excuse to fire Rosenstein and get a clear shot at firing Mueller. Trump, in other words, has declared virtual war on the nation's intelligence agencies, the same agencies that have concluded with a high degree of confidence that Russian agents worked to interfere in the 2016 presidential election on the orders of Vladimir Putin, and that one of Russia's goals is to, quote, undermine public faith in the U.S. democratic processes, CIA director Mike Pompeo, he's recently said that every expectation, he has every expectation that Russia is going to try to influence the 2018 congressional elections, and yet, Trump has resisted all of the proposed legislative remedies to directly address this dangerous problem, leaving America highly vulnerable to Russian or other foreign efforts to sabotage the 2018 congressional, state, even local elections, as well as future elections. Meanwhile, Trump is escalating tensions abroad to distract from his attempts to consolidate power at home. Last week, his administration issued an alarming report. I, I found this particularly alarming. It was on U.S. nuclear arms policy, a dramatic departure from post-Cold War strategy, Trump's nuclear posture review. That's what it's called. It calls for the use of nuclear weapons in response to a non-nuclear attack. attack. You, you heard that right. The Trump administration wants to make it easier to use nuclear weapons. The report also calls for the development of so-called low-yield nuclear arms capable of being used on a battlefield. These recommendations come as the White House is considering what's known as a bloody nose first strike against North Korea. So the question is, what's behind all this? 
Is Trump just doing this unconsciously because he loves feeling powerful and he hates to be criticized? Or is there a method to the madness? By making himself into an authoritarian center of intensifying conflict here at home, Trump grabs all the attention and fuels even greater passions on both sides. That's the strategy. He's intentionally cleaved America into two warring camps, pro-Trump and anti-Trump. And he has convinced the pro-Trumps that his enemy is their enemy. It's what he did in the 2016 election, but on a far larger scale. Then he sucked all the oxygen out of the race by making himself its biggest story. Now he's sucking all the oxygen out of America by making himself our national obsession. I mean, listen, he is schooled in reality television, New York tabloids. He knows how to keep both sides stirred up. You vilify, you disparage, you denounce, you defame, you accuse the other side of conspiring against America. You do this continuously, you dominate every news cycle, and you get people worked up. Fox News is his propaganda arm, magnifying Trump's tweets and rallies and lies. Every particular dispute in America, whether it's DACA, the wall, North Korea, Mueller's investigation, and so on, becomes another aspect of the larger national war over Trump. Now, here's the thing. Democracies require sufficient social trust that citizens regard the views of those they disagree with as worthy of equal consideration to their own. That way, they accept political outcomes they dislike. But Trump's divide-and-conquer strategy is aiming to destroy that trust. So if Mueller finds Trump colluded with Russia, or if Trump fires Mueller before Mueller makes such a finding, the pro-Trumps will block any consequential challenge to his authority. I don't find anything more dangerous to our democracy and our society. But let me just say to you, there are many grounds for hope, and I don't want you to give up on hope. Wednesday night, another Republican State House seat was flipped, this time in a district that Donald Trump won by 28 points. In the past year, Democrats have won more than a dozen special elections, including victories in deep red states. What we're seeing across the country, I think, is less an affirmation of the Democratic Party than it is a huge and growing repudiation of Trump and the GOP. But please, don't take the midterm elections for granted. Next November, you have got to work really hard. Just last week, the Koch brothers and their network of GOP donors announced plans to spend $400 million to help Republicans keep control of Congress. They're willing to enable Trump's authoritarian tendencies as long as he, as he cuts their taxes and reduces regulations on them so they can get richer. We'll only be able to defeat them, his enablers and Trump, if we are organized and engaged to get our democracy back. This week, indivisible organizers in Aurora, Illinois, held a rally to protect dreamers. The rally was in the middle of a heavy rainstorm, but they did it anyway, and they made their voices heard. This kind of determination is what will be required to reclaim our democracy. And now your questions. 
Okay, your questions uh, start with Patricia Redding, uh, who asks, how can Congress reconcile its big spending bill with the tax bill they just passed? Well, Patricia, they can't reconcile it. Uh, it just means, uh, you know, a, a big tax cut and a big spending bill, what they mean together is that the national debt goes up. Uh, which isn't a problem as long as the economy is growing and people have more and more resources to turn around and buy stuff. Uh, and uh, there's more and more resources to protect the environment and protect consumers and everything else we want to do. But it's a huge problem if we don't have the growth that generates that capacity. And that's really the problem. And they, you know, the Republicans for years, what have they been about? They've been about deficits, deficit scolds. They've been telling us over and over again, we cannot possibly raise the debt or the deficit. And now they apparently don't care. James Henton, uh, should we take our money out of the stock market? No, James, don't do that, please. You don't want to buy high and sell low. That's not a good investment strategy. Uh, no, I, I would say uh, the stock market is in a correction. Uh, it was overheated. A lot of people in the stock market, Wall Street traders and so on, they're worried about inflation. They're worried that you have a huge tax cut and a lot of spending at the same time that the economy is almost at full capacity in terms of plant equipment and unemployment. And in those conditions, it's likely that the Fed is going to raise interest rates. But the Fed is not going to raise interest rates a huge amount. I think the market is overreacting right now. The fundamentals, fundamentals I think, are, are fine. Lee Vonder here. Uh, with all due respect, what is progressive about resistance? Uh, Lee, uh, what we're resisting, and I hope you are resisting as well, is injustice. What we're resisting is... Uh, kind of authoritarianism, uh, the destruction in many respects and potential destruction of our democracy. Uh, we're resisting a rollback of environmental protections. We're resisting a rollback of, of education and the decline of public education. We're resisting this kind of backward lurch that Donald Trump represents and all of the dangers to our society that he represents, bigotry and xenophobia. Uh, that has got to be resisted if we're going to go forward. Resistance is progressive. Uh, Jeff, Jeff uh, Nicholson, the only people who can stop Trump are the elected officials we voted in to protect us. Why do they keep giving him ground? Is the Democratic Party being intentionally complicit? That's what it looks like. Uh, Jeff, I know many Democrats, uh, some of them are very courageous people, some of them uh, really just want to be reelected. I think that what the Democrats do is pretty much take direction from their constituents. And that's why it is so important for you and others like you to be out there, engaged, mobilized, organized, uh, and pushing Democrats, as well as pushing Republicans. I, there is absolutely no substitute for that. Uh, Doug Jocelyn, why give Trump credit for having a strategy? Uh, Doug, good question. I think Donald Trump, as far as I can understand the man, and I quite frankly have a lot of trouble with it, uh, I think that he, on the one hand, is just a garden variety narcissist. Uh, on the other hand, I think he's a megalomaniac, and I think that that megalomaniac has in him an intuitive strategy of conflict chaos, uh, and also building power on the basis of conflict and chaos. And so that is, it's not a complicated strategy. I think it's an intuitive strategy, and I think it, it really f comes directly out of this uh, narcissistic personality. So that's your questions. Uh, look, don't give up faith. 
uh, I want to thank you for your actions and your involvement, your engagement. Don't forget, November is coming on us. I mean, it will be here before you even know it. As always, I want to thank Sasha Lightman, Andrew Santana, and Jacob Kornbluth for their help. And I want to encourage all of you to watch uh, something we call Class in Session, uh, where I invite you to join my class here at Berkeley on wealth and inequality. Uh, we'll have a new class every Tuesday. If you haven't already, I encourage all of you also to watch our new documentary, Saving Capitalism. It's now streaming on Netflix. This is stuff, public education is so basic uh, to not just the resistance, but to making sure that our democracy works. Thank you. See you next week. The Resistance Report is a production of Inequality Media and is hosted by me, Robert Reich, and produced by Sasha Lightman. This episode was edited by Chris Lucas with music by Nick Deicher. And please be sure to let your friends know about this new podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people will be able to discover and make use of what we're doing here. 